0: You are now listening to Computers Bite Back, brought to you by Greebug and Malkor. I'm Greebug And
1: I'm Malkor.
0: This time, we're going to be talking about the Intel processors, and at the end, we're going to go over which one's better and why between the Intel and the AMD. First, let's talk about some of the special features of the Intel processors. Now, you'll see that they have what they call Intel hyper-threading. This is typically meant when every core that's inside one of the Intel processors has two threads. That's what they call hyper-threading, because they can kind of get twice the performance out of a single core.
1: What this boils down to is basically it lets your core multitask. It can do more than one thing at a time, so it's more efficient you get more performance out of it without having to ramp up the clock speed to get it.
0: They also have turbo boost, which is kind of cool too. This is seen on the dual and quad cores. When the number of core usage drops to one or two cores, they end up boosting the clock speed of the cores that are still in use. This is to help them basically go, hey, I'm only a core in use, I'm going to get more power more usage it kind of goes along with the fact that with less cores in use there's going to be less heat dissipation required from the entire die so it's easier to yeah basically overclock essentially it isn't a quick little overclocking and what i noticed was They would jack up the clock frequency about 133 megahertz if a single core is in use. And if it dropped down to one core with only one thread being used, they jumped it up to 266 megahertz, which is a pretty pretty decent jump.
1: Now, basically what this boils down to is the The AMD processors have something where it reduces the power consumption so it's more efficient when you're running fewer cores. Intel kind of turned that on its head and instead of reducing the power consumption, they ramped up the ones that aren't idle so you get better performance out of it. And this kind of helps smooth the difference between the software that does take advantage of the multi-cores and doesn't, because even if your programs can't take advantage of multiple cores or hyper-threading, it'll still get a little bit of a performance boost from this turbo boost technology.
0: It's a pretty neat idea, and when I read about it, I was impressed. that, And it makes sense, because if you think about overall, you have, let's say, quad cores. Three of them are shut down, so your overall heat dissipation is going to decrease because they aren't doing anything. They're just sitting there idle. So you can actually jack up the one, it'll generate more heat by doing this, but likely it won't go over the standard heat that the other three that are doing nothing aren't, you know.
1: So something else Intel's put on their processors is what they refer to as QPI, or Quick Path Interconnect. This is something similar to what we talked about last time with AMD's hypertransport, and it basically replaces the front side bus and serves as a direct connection between the processor and the other components in the computer. And like we said before, the way this works is instead of all the components sharing one communication line, there's separate communication lines between each of the various components, So you don't have as much conflict, and you can have several different components communicating amongst each other at the same time, which gives you more efficiency, faster data transfer, and better performance overall.
0: Now those are some of the standard features that a lot of the processors that Intel makes has. Now some of them have this and some don't, and we're going to go into some of the different processors because... Unlike AMD, the Intel architecture varies greatly from one type of processor to another, and sometimes even within the same, well, labeling scheme, because I know there's various different families of cores in the i3 and i5s, which we're going to talk about.
1: So one of the processors that Intel has is called the Atom.
0: The Atom processors very cool. Um, and I guess I did mean to make that a pun. It has a lower thermal dissipation power than most of the other processors that Intel makes. It was designed for netbooks originally. And you probably, if you bought a netbook, have one of those in there. I know my netbook I bought actually has an Atom processor.
1: Now they deliberately designed these... CPUs to have a very small form factor package, so it takes up less space. It uses less power and generates less heat, so the heat sink and fan can be much smaller, and it also integrates the CPU and the graphics. Does that mean it doesn't have a separate graphics card?
0: Nope, the graphics processor and in, is inside, so it doesn't need a separate graphics card. Now, reason they did this is the devices that they're putting that they're putting all the atom processors in typically do not need or have room i should say for a graphics card of its own like netbooks they're kind of small there's not really much there for a graphics card if you have ever seen the little tiny netbooks and they're even putting some of them into laptops now but there's This has to do more with the they decided to take the Atom processor family and expand it. And there's even, I've seen some cell phones that are saying that they have an Atom processor now. And when they expanded the family for Atom processors, they even started a desktop version. I'm sure you're going to see these as being the tiny little form factor machines that are... Actually, not much bigger than a lap a gamer laptop probably actually might be smaller than a gamer laptop,
1: okay, so there's also several versions of the atom correct?
0: yeah, the original version, which was designed for netbooks, ran at a one point six gigahertz and then they re well put some, you know retooled it a little got it to one point six six gigahertz. It's only a single core with uh, dual threads, which is kind of nice. These all have an internal GPU. Actually, all the Atoms do. But it has very... Everything's integrated... A lot of it's integrated into the processor, and that helps with the thermal dissipation heat being low, and also helps with, well reason they put the graphics processor in there is because if you're using a netbook, I'm guessing you're not going to game on it too much, other than maybe Facebook games, or do basic YouTube videos, stuff like that. You don't need a high-end graphics processor.
1: Now from the netbook version, they actually came out with a desktop processor. And this one incorporated PCI, uh, uh, PCI Express DDR2 RAM and it also had a dual core version.
0: Yeah, and that's partially because if you're using a desktop version you may actually want to put a better graphics card in there. So, if you're going to do some more graphic intensive applications or videos or whatever, you know you probably need something better if you're going to go for, say uh 1080p resolution settings, or something, you know, you'll probably want a better graphics card in there than the one inside the processor. Now, I will bet you that you will see dual core netbook versions come out eventually. I haven't, I thought I read something somewhere, but I couldn't find the article again, so I can't verify that I they might have been talking about the desktop versions but I will bet you eventually you're going to see a dual core atom for the netbook now I didn't put much on the core 2 or the Xeon or Celeron because they're a little out well they're going out the door essentially Uh, they've been around some of them have been around since 2006 So, they're a little dated, some of the processors, but they're still out there, so that's why I even brought them up, because if you're looking at a machine, you might see them out there still. I know the Core 2s are still out there and still being sold. It's actually one of the low-end, cheaper processors you can buy that's Intel right now.
1: So, basically, you're saying they're old and busted.
0: They're still good processors. They're just dated, unfortunately. Um, and I'll, when we go into the comparison, I'll tell you a little more on where they can fit in performance-wise to other processors. Now, the Core 2, you're going to see dual cores. Actually, you'll see single, dual, and quad core in the flavors. And if it's a single core, typically they labeled it as a solo. So, solo, single core, you know. Dual cores typically said... It was core yeah, it was just said core two dual. And then there was also the quad.
1: Now the reason they call it the core two is instead of putting the multiple cores all on one die, they actually had two separate dies inside that were linked together. So the core two duo was actually two single core dies hooked together.
0: And this is where AMD was poking fun at Intel for not putting all their cores onto a single die. But Intel didn't see the need to do it because they figured out a way to link the two dies together and get the same performance increase that they wanted to. And it also saved them a lot of money by using two separate dies for each of the you know duels. Like if it's a dual core, there's two core, two dies, one core on each die, and if it was a quad core, there was two, there was two cores on each die. So they just found it a cheaper method to get to the dual and quad core setups.
1: So after the old and busted, now we got the new hotness, right? Sure.
0: Now if you've been looking at different mis- computers, whether it be you know pre-built or if you're looking at building one yourself you probably have noticed that intel has i3s i5s i7s and even there is a i think there no that's a core 2 that's a v pro it's yeah that's one of the things where naming conventions get a little wonky and you know i think they could have simplified things
1: i don't know the i3 i5 i7 convention is pretty straightforward I mean the higher the number the the more high end processor it is.
0: Well, when they put it brought throughout the V Pro, it was technically a Core 2 processor, but it was just a higher end version of it. And yeah, I was just like, well, I don't know, just call it the Core 2 with a bigger number or something. I don't
1: It's the Core 2 Plus.
0: Essentially, you can think of the i3, i5, and i7. you got i3 being your low-end, i5 being your mid-range, and then the i7s being your high-end. i3 was is typically geared for laptops and mobile devices. They also have a low-end version desktop. Um, you'll see these being, I think, the 1156 socket typically. They do have hyper-threading in these but they don't have the turbo boost.
1: The i5's have the hyper-threading and the turbo boost and they run on the Clarkdale core which is part of the Westmere family. These cores are built using the 32 nanometer technology They generally generate less than 90 watts of heat, and they typically use the socket LGA-1156.
0: Yeah, the Clarkdale is actually one of the new arrivals to the I-5 family. And when I talk about the Westmere family of cores, well, when, yeah, Malcor brought it up, that has to do with the manufacturing technology and they basically, when they went to the 32 nanometer technology, they realized they could pack in a lot more stuff. So they revamped the architecture inside the core, inside the processor. And so there's more and there's more processors in the Westmere family. And typically you're going to see those at the 32 nanometers before most of the Processors being manufactured were at the 45 nanometer technology instead. So when they, that's where essentially the Westmere family is the first ones coming out that are on 32 nanometers. I don't even think, and let's see, AMD it might not be there yet. Oh nope, AMD their six core is supposed to be on the 32 nanometers. So. Clarkdales are already out there. You can already buy them, so once again, Intel beat AMD to the punch on the 32 nanometer.
1: Now these, the i5 processor supports the dual channel DDR3 memory, which is another technology that AMD hasn't quite gotten out there yet. They generally come with dual cores, a 4 megabyte L3 cache integrated to the processor, and their clock speeds are normally somewhere in the 3.2 to 3.46 gigahertz range
0: course if you have since they have turbo boost and hyper threading when it goes down to using a single, so, single core single thread you're going to see that jump past if you had like the 3.46 gigahertz and it jumped up by 266 megahertz you're going to see 3.73 gigahertz on that processor that one core
1: now, am I reading this right? Did they integrate the graphics processor into the CPU on these two?
0: Uh, yes. Since they dropped to 32 nanometers, they realized we have all the room in the world now, and they jumped the GPU inside. Now, you still have PCI Express inside built in, and the PCI Express memory controller is inside the processor, which... I put a list here that you know, P- you got PCI Express, you have miscellaneous I.O., and you've got your memory controller all inside the c- processor now for Intel. The reason they're doing this is they've, like in AMD, realized that you can, more stuff you bring in, the faster things can flow. Then only the slower parts that are out are actually still sitting outside the processor.
1: Now the downside is with all of these components inside the CPU, the memory bandwidth is limited and it's dropped 25 to roughly 30%. A lot of this has to do with the fact that your memory bandwidth is being shared between your graphics controller and the CPU at the same time.
0: Which that's we'll talk a little bit about the benchmarks down later when we do the beatdown between AMD and Intel, because this is why the Clarkdale family placed where it did.
1: So that brings us to the i7, which is the higher end of the Intel i-series processors right now.
0: This obviously has turbo boost, hyper-threading, and they seem to average about 2 megabits per core for the L3 cache. So... If you have a quad-core, you're going to have 8 megabits of L3 cache. I didn't put a whole lot here because they this is changing with the Gulf Town. So I did put a comparison. Like here, you know, the 975 Extreme Edition of the i7 is manufactured at 45 nanometers and only has seven hundred and thirty-one million transistors. Only Well, let's go to the Gulf Town. It's the new greatest and latest and yeah. With it jumping down well, jumping, dropping down to thirty two nanometers for its manufacturing tech. It can it well it has one point one seven billion transistors in it.
1: That's a lot of transistors.
0: You can now buy the Golf Town. It is the, you'll see it labeled Intel Core i7-980X processor, extreme edition. But you have to have $1,000. There are motherboards out there to support it. You're going to probably be looking at a 150 to $250 for a motherboard that supports this So
1: Now, some of the features of this processor, uh, it can handle up to 24 gigabytes of memory at 25.6 gigabits per second. Um, It supports the DDR3 non-ECC memory. It has three separate memory channels, and it only generates about 130 watts uh, TDP.
0: Now the three memory channels is something the i7s a lot of them already had. They just kept with it. And what this means is you can put you'll see on the motherboard typically slots for three, six, or even nine memory slot memory and you're going to want when you buy RAM, you're going to want to buy three sticks and make them all matched pair or matched sets. So that way You'll get the most out of that. Because when it says three memory channels, it's going to be hitting all three of them.
1: So traditionally, you wanted to buy your memory in pairs. Now you're going to want to buy it in sets of three.
0: Yeah, the Gulf Towns is using the Socket LGA 1366. This actually kind of beat out what people were saying the future of the Intel processors were going to go for. A lot of people were saying that LGA eleven fifty six was going to be the big bad and the one to stick with on your motherboards. When they brought out the hex this hex core, they put it on thirteen sixty six. So that to me says that I wouldn't count out the LG yeah, that socket as being possibly the one that Intel's gonna stick with.
1: Now, as we just got done mentioning, the Gulf Town does use the 32 nanometer manufacturing technology, which lets them fit a whole lot more stuff in the processor, and it's based on the Westmere architecture family. It has the turbo boost and the hyper-threading.
0: And some people have already overclocked this processor at 4 gigahertz using the standard retail heatsink and fan that came with in a box, so... I don't know if I'd recommend doing that, but that's where they saw the stability. They were able to run it at four gigahertz, without, yeah, too much issue. I think you might want to invest in a better heat sink and fan before you really do something like that. But just putting that out there, that some people have already overclocked this a decent amount.
1: So, bottom line, if you've got the money to shell out for it, you can get a whole lot of bang for your buck. Yeah,
0: it's to me, it's a pretty impressive processor. There was a little controversy. Well, maybe not controversy, but I've read some articles, and they questioned why Intel did the labeling scheme as they did, because when they heard the hex core, a lot of people assumed that they were going to increment the I number instead of going just sticking it into the I7 family. They thought they were going to bump it and just make a new i9 family. But they didn't do that, and also a lot of people were concerned. Well, I don't know. I guess there was just some general criticism about there was a 975X, which is a quad core, and then they brought this one out, which is a 980X. So it only incremented the number by 5.
1: Yeah, the way I see it, it's all arbitrary numbers anyways that they just make up, so it doesn't really matter as long as you understand what it's capable of.
0: True, and I can see why the, if they want to keep the naming convention basically being i3, low-end, i5, mid-range, and i7, the top-end, then it fits in the top-end. It's, a, you know, hex-core.
1: Definitely. So, do you want to make your predictions here or do you want to go to the beat down?
0: Uh, we can do the predictions now. And this is just some thoughts I've had after reading all this information. Now, I can see some of these changes. This could change. Technology is constantly changing. Because, well, here, I'm going to talk about Moore's Law in just a second because essentially that was Gordon E. Moore co-founder of Intel, what he predicted once upon a time. He wrote, he said in an article, Cramming More Components Onto Integrated Circuits, which was published in Electronics Magazine 19th of April in 1965, so quite a while ago. And the quote is, The complexity of minimum component cost has increased at a rate of roughly a factor of two per year certainly over the short term this rate can be expected to continue if not to increase over the long term the rate of increase is a bit more uncertain although this although there is no reason to believe it will not remain nearly constant for at least 10 years that means by 1975 the number of components per integrated circuit for minimum cost will be 65000 I believe that such a large circuit can be built on a single wafer.
1: That's pretty impressive that he said that so long ago and it's held true to this day.
0: And when he's talking about 65,000 components, that's 65,000 transistors that he was really talking about. And back in then, a transistor was a large piece of... yeah. Compared to what it is now.
1: Yeah, compared to these gulf towns that have 1.17 billion transistors.
0: Yeah, and obviously this guy was was pretty with it to be able to make a prediction like this that has pretty much held true. I think there's been some very, you know, dips or whatnot in the technology which might have made it off just slightly. But overall, it's been fairly accurate, even still.
1: Well, and every now and then, you'll have the experts come out and say, oh, well, they're approaching the physical limitations of the technology, etc., etc. But then they turn around and come out with something like 32 nanometers instead of 45 nanometers. And And like you said, it doesn't seem like it's a huge difference, but when you're talking something that size, you can fit a whole lot more stuff on that die.
0: Well, and I've actually seen documentation that they're going to go down to 25 nanometers and I read one article that said 22 nanometers, but I haven't I haven't read from it, the people making the chips say that yet. Um so I was wondering if they might have just typoed and meant 25 nanometers cuz when I read what this one company said, actually it was Intel, that put 25 nanometers that that was basically about the limit that they think they can go. Of course, I think they used to say that about even larger sizes, so it could be just more time and it eventually, you know, gets smaller, but uh, there will become a physical limit because soon you're just going to have atoms.
1: And hey, that's entirely possible too.
0: It is, and yeah, Anyway, I kind of wrote down some of my thoughts about predictions of what we're going to see. And it may or may not hold true, but I think this is what we are probably end up seeing for a little while at least. When I say a little while, it could be just for a year or two. I mean, because technology, every once in a while, there becomes a huge breakthrough and just obliterates what we think was ever possible I put that I like one thing is the clock speed I see it increasing a little more um, I remember when they hit one gigahertz they thought that was a barrier that they would never go past and then now we're up at 3.3 3 gigahertz on a lot of processors even 3.4 I honestly don't think we're going to see much past 5GHz on a standard, this is what comes out off the shelf and what they recommend. So, maybe after two years or a year and a half, we might see that change. And I actually read an article on a new transistor that could actually change this whole thing completely. The new transistor actually could make the 5 gigahertz look like it was, I don't know, what we think of 1 gigahertz now. And I don't see that hitting the processor technology within a year and a half, two years. So that's one of the reasons why putting that rough time frame on the 5 gigahertz.
1: Fair enough, that seems like a pretty safe bet.
0: I think we're going to keep seeing the core numbers increase, and I th- there won't be much slowing them down. I know Intel has already got slated for what, 46 cores, I think we talked about the one time. I know I put in here something else, but... Now, that massive num- quantity of cores was for a server pro- you know, processor, but... I can see I could see us hitting 12 cores in two years, but I'm not sure we're going to need them as much. I think our whole computer, thoughts about computers are going to change in the two years, though. I'm going to, I would say that we're not going to see as many computers being sold. The laptops are going to take over. Even netbooks are going to, probably drop, diminish the sales of some of the computers because most people, they just need to check mail, surf the internet, and that's about it. So they don't need much. Now, the gamers are what's going to keep the higher-end stuff rolling. Which, And then there's also the people that do development on various items.
1: You mean the folks that actually use this for their job instead of, you know, playing around?
0: Yeah. Because you'll see workstations still that will require multiple cores and such. But I could just see the sales of... If you go to, a let's say, Fry's, Best Buy, and whatnot, you're going to see the high-level, mid-range, and low-end computers. I think the mid-range is going to end up dropping out. You're going to only see a low range, and a high range of computers, and that's going to be about it.
1: So you don't think the iPad is going to just wipe out the rest of the computer market?
0: It's not a computer, so that's not a fair assessment to, or fair, that's comparing an apple to an orange, or a banana to an orange.
1: It was a joke.
0: I know, but there are people that have said, oh, this is going to compute, you know, kill all the uh, laptops. I'm like, Uh, well, technically, you need to tether that thing to a computer or you can't do hardly anything with it, so you're wrong. Another one of my predictions is we're gonna this is going to be hard to quantify, but we're going to see a massive increase in efficiency, and that's going to come in the form of new architecture inside the cores. Like, I think the Westmere. Core that they Intel, well, the architecture that Intel brought out is one of the steps towards this massive increase in, in efficiency. I wish I could quantify this in a way that could be, you know, oh, you're right or oh, you're wrong, you know, type thing. It is time for the beatdown.
1: Beat beat
0: <laughs> okay, we've talked about Intel and we've talked about AMD. Now, I'm sure you've already kind of picked up what we thought was better and whatnot. Except, I'm going to talk about some of the benchmarks and why they're better. Yes, I said basically Intel's better. Well, that kind of sucks for AMD, but, you know, I'm sure, yeah. Why does this happen?
1: Well, a lot of it just has to do with who breaks the next technology leap first.
0: Well, actually, AMD was the first one to get to the multiple cores. And they had the step... Yeah, they took a step out there with multiple cores, and then they, I don't know, started walking like a zombie, I guess? Like I said, AMD came out first with the multi-cores, and they also were the first to get to 64-bit processors. Well... There's 64-bit processors that could also be 32-bit processors. Intel had 64-bit processors, but no one went to those because there was was only 32-bit operating systems at the time. So Intel kind of got stuck on the shelf on their 64-bit stuff. Now that's changed, but still. AMD still took the first step, and yet... Unfortunately, they just started walking really slow. I'm not sure if they were overconfident with the fact that they got there first or what, but Intel saw this as a challenge and kept running.
1: So right now, the the top-of-the-line processors from Intel are the i7s, and the the top-of-the-line AMD processors are the Phenom 2X4s. The i7s in benchmarks outperform the X the Phenom 2s, X4s by quite a big margin.
0: It actually wasn't until they got to the Intel's mid-range, the i5s, where the Phenom 2 X4s were just slightly better in performance. So that's where I'm like, AMD, come on, get with it. Their mid-range processors are where your top end is. Now with the Clarkdale, they kind of lost some of their performance because they integrated... We talked about this, how they lost some performance when they integrated the GPU and are sharing the memory controller between the CPU and the GPU. So... But that little loss in performance only made it slightly less in performance than still the Phenom 2X4s. And if you want to know where the Athlon 2 processors fit compared to all these other processors, they are probably closer to the i3s, if that. Um, They weren't... I wouldn't use them unless you're going to... you're looking for an extreme budget machine.
1: And that right there is where AMD actually comes out on top, is when you start looking at the price of these things.
0: Well, like I said, you can get the top-end AMD for $185. Now, if you want to compare that to some of the Intel processors, that's I think their cheapest dual quad-core was $149. Now, $149 got you their processor that was the Core 2 Quad, and it came out in two thousand eight.
1: So, if the i five is about the equivalent of the top end AMD, the Phenom two quad core, how do the i fives compare in price?
0: Yeah, the lowest, the low end priced i five right now is one hundred eighty five dollars. It's the six fifty Clarkdale, three point two gigahertz. So, it's only a dual-core, but even still, dual-core, to me it's pretty bad when the dual-core Clarkdales are just barely below the performance of your quad-core top-end.
1: Yeah, but if we're talking price-wise, they come out about the same for about the equivalent of performance. It's just when you start getting beyond what AMD's capable of that the Intel processor prices go through the roof, right?
0: Basically, yeah, because once you get to the i7s, the processor price just jumps. And like I said, the Gulf Town, which is their i7 hex core, is $1,000, which, well, if you're going to get Bleeding Edge technology, that would be the processor to get, and you have to always pay. the. There's always that big price tag that you have to pay for Bleeding Edge.
1: So bottom line, if you want performance and you're willing to pay for it, Go with Intel, but if you're trying to build a computer on a budget, take a look at AMD.
0: Now, if you're actually curious, I'm looking at the i7s right now. The low end for a standard i7 is $280, which is not too bad, but it's still obviously more than $185. And of course their top end is almost $1,000 again.
1: Oh wow, I was searching and I saw something pop up that was $3,200, but that's actually the entire computer.
0: That's actually cheap. I saw a system that you can, you know, if you really wanted to pay that much, it's probably worth more than my car. About 7500 Wow. Yeah, it comes with liquid cooling and all kinds of fun stuff.
1: I think the heat pipes sound cooler. No pun intended.
0: I kind of like the heat pipe technology because it gives you a cross between air, the standard air cooling and the, you know, liquid cooling. But yet more... You don't have to worry about leaks, as you know, unless you're really beating the crap out of your system.
1: Oh, hey, something we may want to mention is it looks like uh, the Gulf Towns are limited availability right now.
0: Well, the thing about the... Gulf Towns, is they just hit the market, essentially. So until people, well, yeah, they're not going to have a lot of them out there until they, well, have been there for a while. It just happens to go with manufacturing. Um, I'm sure there are some people buying these for servers because a hex core that performs like this, from what everything I've read, it's worth, well, for a server
1: it'd be worth the investment. So in summary, Intel's got a lot of different families of processors out there. The most recent ones are the i-series, which has the i3 for low-end computers, i5 is the mid-range, and i7 is high-end. They have a lot of different features. Um, Some of them similar to what AMD has. Some of them are unique to Intel, like the Turbo Boost, where they can ramp up the one processor, or one core, if the other cores are idling and that sort of thing.
0: There is a lot of similarities between the two, but obviously, since they're two different companies, they're going to design their architecture completely different, which is where the efficiency and the performance varies greatly between the two companies. Now, like I said... And AMD is bringing out a new processor with a completely brand new architecture. So it could bring AMD back into the ballpark of the, yeah, with performance, but we'll have to wait and see.
1: So bottom line is at the moment, Intel has the edge over AMD in terms of performance by quite a bit when you go up to the really high-end chips but at the same time AMD has a slightly better benefit in terms of uh pricing.
0: And I would yeah, and even though and, and, yeah, the AMDs don't perform and are cheaper, they are still good processors. I still have one in my system now. I've actually been running AMD for a while just because they're cheaper typically. And I've never had any issues with the processor other than when my power supply decided to fry my motherboard, which then fried the processor.
1: Alright, so this has been another podcast of Computers Bite Back.
0: You can contact us by sending us an email at questions at back. Com. and that's all one word and Byte is B-Y-T-E
1: We've also got a webpage at computersbyteback.com and a group on Facebook I'd like to thank you for listening be-deep, be-deep, be-deep. That's all folks